the title of the message, though, today, and by the way, everybody is welcome. We love that you're here. If you're new, we love that you're here. And so, but I have a message that I wanted to give you called Walk the Talk. Walk the Talk. Have you ever, have you ever said that to somebody? Hey, you need to, like, walk the talk. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I'm going to talk about that from our passage this morning and what that looks about. And so if you're like a Christ follower, like, well, what does that look like to, to actually walk the talk? And what does that look like if you're not, if you're like new to church, checking out church? Well, this is something that you could, you could hear what it would look like if you were a Christ follower here. And so walk the talk then is something that you do all the time. But there's also stuff that you, you don't do. And so... Uh, we're going we're gonna to unpack that this morning here. And so how do we walk the talk like in our conduct? And how do we walk the talk as a church community? We're going to talk about that this morning. So we're going to read the Bible. Then we are going to explain the Bible. And then we are going to apply the Bible. So we're an old school Bible teaching church. So old school, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and so I'm just convinced like it works. You know, like the Bible works. If you just talk about it, say what's been said, it works. So if you're able to stand to your feet, please do. I'm going to read verse 27. If you could read uh, verse 28 and verse 30. This is the God-breathed, inspired word of God. Verse 27 says, Philippians chapter 1. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Father, thank you that we're here. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for everybody watching online. We thank you for your word that's been given to us that we just read, and I pray that you, by your spirit, would shed light upon it, shed light upon our path, shed light upon what it means for us individually, shed light upon what it means for us as a community of, of Christ followers, and may your blessing be poured out over our time here this morning in our reading and explaining and applying of the scripture to our lives, and as the scriptures say, may we delight in the law of the Lord and in your law, may we meditate day and night. And so, Father, do what only you can do. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, saying, So how then do you walk the talk? In the passage this morning, the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I see him there chained to a Roman soldier there in Philippi. It's like the Holy Spirit kind of nudges him, kind of stirs his heart, his heart gets a hold of him to write these words here the, directly to the Christ followers that were there in Philippi, Greece, as well as the Christ followers in Calamesa, California. Come on, somebody. And so Paul's writing uh, there, and it's timeless, and therefore timely, chained to a Roman soldier there, dictating the letter here, and waiting as a prisoner under the auspices of Caesar Nero, where he could lose his life, and there God inspires him to write these words. And in verse 27, it talks about standing together, talks about fighting together. Verse 28, he talks about our enemies. Verse 29, he talks about 
suffering. And verse 30 is talking about conflict. So you see there that Paul then is writing to the Christ followers who were challenged in their life with pain, suffering, conflict, and adversity. So with that background, here's what he says in verse 27. Above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Then he talks about how they're to conduct themselves. So above all, he's saying, watch, you got to do this right here. You got to walk the talk. You got to conduct your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Above all, at all costs, do this. Above all, under all circumstances, do this here. Do what? Live as citizens of heaven. And so this is conveying more than just like citizens, like how do you live as citizens? This is talking about conveying the way then that we are to live. So everyone that's a Christ follower then has a dual citizenship, and you are primarily a citizen of heaven. So what does it look like then to live as citizens of heaven there? Because he's writing to people that were citizens of Rome. And they were really into being citizens of Rome. There was kind of like an island there in Philippi as a Roman colony. They were, they were totally given over to being citizens of Rome. So now they get this letter from Paul that says, hey, not about being citizens of Rome. It's being about citizens of heaven that you have a spiritual citizenship that now has changed when you met Christ as your Savior here. Because you put your faith in Jesus, you have been made citizens of heaven. What does that mean? Well, therefore, you are to live differently than those citizens surrounding you that haven't had that reality. So you're to live for a different purpose, for God's purpose for your life. So every Christ follower then is a heavenly citizen with the privilege and the responsibilities that come with that. So what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven? He says then, conducting yourselves. This in the original language is a a call to a continuous conduct, a continuous conducting of yourself. It's not like you show up one day and conduct yourself, and then the rest of the week you kind of do your own thing. No, this is continuous. A conduct worthy of what? Worthy of the gospel. And so number one then, how do you walk the talk? You do it in your conduct. In your conduct, point number one, conduct, becoming of a Christ follower. Sometimes when people put clothes on, like I do this with my wife actually quite often. I'll say, hey, I did this last night. Hey, how does this look? No, those look awful. Pick that one. You know, that one is more contemporary or whatever. So, okay, I'll wear that one. And so, uh, but sometimes people will say, hey, that's not becoming of you. Or that action is not becoming of you. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. Here's what's becoming of you as a Christ follower. And then he says this, says here, uh, your conduct speaks of your mindset, your attitude, your lifestyle. You must conduct yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven there. So conduct yourselves, it says, in a manner worthy of the good news or the gospel. Well, that's like a really tall order. Like it sounds a little bit intimidating that to let your life be proof that you're actually a follower of Christ there. So do people know that you're a Christ follower like if they didn't know, if they didn't know anything about you? Conduct yourselves, then, speaks of everything that people see. 
about you. It speaks of everything that you display for people to see, how you interact with people, how you relate to people, how you present yourself, your reputation there. Someone once said that you're writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. So what kind of gospel are you writing? So, and these words I would submit to you include what we say on social media. How about what we display on social media for the world to see? Our conduct, we walk the walk, not just in our lives face-to-face, person-to-person, but also uh, face-to-face and who we interact with on social media. So we're literally, we're being displayed to the world. So we're literally displaying for the whole world everything about us. Our entertainment, what we like, what we don't like, our opinions, what we post, what we tweet and retweet and all of that. And social media, this great tool to connect with people. But the question is this that I want to ask us. Are we conducting ourselves worthy of the gospel on social media? Are we conducting ourselves worthy of the gospel on social media? Are we walking the talk on social media and how we conduct ourselves? And when people see our social media, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Snapchat, uh, what you like, what you tweet and retweet, and uh, what they see about your image, your character, your body, uh, what does it reflect about Jesus Christ? What does it reflect? Is it worthy of the gospel? So here's Paul writing from a jail passionately, passionately urging the Christ followers to live as citizens of heaven there, to choose to conduct themselves as worthy of the gospel, to not just believe, but to behave as citizens of the heaven. And so not just to have right behavior, but right doctrine, but right behavior. So are they behaving, are we behaving as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Like would your coworkers would your friends, would your family, would your enemies there know that, hey, well, there's a person that's, that's real, that, uh, that is walking worthy of the gospel. So we need to talk about the gospel. Like, what's the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that we were condemned uh, in our trespasses in our sins, that we received the Adamic nature of Adam and Eve, that his nature, his sin nature, the fall in the garden there, has been passed on because we're, we're, we're born into sin. Uh, we are the sons and daughters of Adam there. We're born into sin there. And so in the Bible says that sin separates us from God. Harmatia, it separates us. The consequences of sin is death or separation from God. And so sin separates us. So we can't make ourselves worthy of the gospel. We can't make ourselves worthy of God. So Jesus then stepped in to save us of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so Jesus saves us from our sin. So the beauty then of the gospel, the good news is that Christ did for us, which we could never do for ourselves. And the way of salvation then is to believe, to confess that Jesus Christ is God. And so, and to repent, to turn from our sin. We can never make ourselves worthy of the gospel, but our actions, our attitude, our lifestyle can be lived in such a way that is worthy of the gospel. So your first step then is to believe 
in the gospel. So Paul adds this in verse 27. He says, then, whether I come to you, remember, he's, he's in prison far away. Uh, then I, when I come to you and see, or I just hear about you, okay, I'll know you're standing firm. So to stand firm, this is soldier talk. This is military talk. This is army talk here, where he's talking about holding your ground. He's talking about standing your post. He's talking about don't leave your guard there, even in the midst to, to stand in the midst of ferocious, tremendous opposition, stand firm. So picture a soldier surrounded by a hostile crowd, and he's standing there, and, uh, and he's just kind of standing there, kind of like I'm standing here. And uh, sometimes in life, you know, he's kind of standing. He says, hold on. In light of everything that's around you, you need to not just kind of stand there like that. You need to, to spread your legs, and you need to, to prepare yourself, and, and you don't know what's coming. And that's ho They're hostile out there, and you need to stand. I need to prepare for what might happen here. That is to stand fast. And so uh, it is to, to stand, not in a relaxed position, but, but ready to, to like fight there. And so he, you widen your legs because you need more stability there because you're anticipating what might happen. So the word picture there is for how we're to conduct ourselves, how we're to live. One of the ways that you live is you're, you're standing firm, anticipating a battle. So uh, it means not to be moved from your position. So stand firm, he's telling them. All kinds of wild, weird doctrine. Stand firm then in your doctrine. Stand firm in your beliefs. Stand firm in your Christian behavior. Stand firm in your conduct. Stand firm in your, your character, your spiritual character. Stand firm in godliness and purity and holiness and obedience there. The same exact word. Stand firm is used in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says stand against the schemes, the strategy of the devil. Now it's opening up a whole other vista of the application of this. And then it says in verse 13, it says, after having done everything that you know how to do, stand firm. Resisting, then it goes on to say, the matter of resisting the devil in the day of evil there, and so standing against spiritual darkness, standing against Satan there. So, so it requires not just a, you know, casual whatever, you know. But no, you gotta, you got to stand firm. And so that's what he's talking about here. This is, part of, this is part of how you conduct yourself here. So how then do we walk the talk? Conduct, okay, becoming, your conduct is becoming of a Christ follower, a citizen of heaven. Point number two is this, is that we cling together, stand firm together as a church. And so secondly, then, we walk the talk as a church by clinging together. Not only, not only number one there, that we're, uh, uh, how we're conducting our lives, but then you cling together. And so the word orig originally means this. It means to, to stand together with one mind. It means that we need to learn to work together to cooperate to walk the talk, okay, uh, as citizens of heaven. So number two then, we cling together or we cooperate. We co Now think about this and think about the practical implications when a church does not cooperate. 
when you can't get along, you just can't get along. You know, I'm reminded of Paul when he write, writes to uh, 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 one of his letters. He says, see to it that those two women will like, get, get together. Get them together. And I'm going to talk more about that. So standing together means with one spirit, one mind, one purpose, literally one soul, like-minded that we need to get along here. Why, why do we need to do that? Why do we need to cling together? Why do we need to kind of cooperate? Well, think about it. Number one is they're, uh, they're facing a common enemy. He's talking about the opposition there. He talks about the evil that they're going to face in this passage here. But additionally, it's a hostile, unbelieving world that they live in that's trying to destroy the faith of the gospel. So if ever there was a time where the church needs to to stand together, it's now. We need to to work together, to cooperate together, be a united force then, even to get the gospel out, we need to do that. So that we're not spending all kinds of sideways energy on just nonsense here. Uh, So how how does this come to expression then and how we handle our relationships? How do we resolve issues with one another? So Jesus then had some very specific words then about about this and how you uh, deal with issues here. And he said this in Matthew chapter 18. I, I know you've been around church. You've probably heard about this. But he says this. Watch. Everybody look here. If another believer sins against you, text your three best friends and find out what they think. Is that, is that what it's? Oh, uh, sorry. If another believer sins against you, go to your pastor and tell him, I just need some, some wise counsel. I just need some, some godly advice. Oh, oh no. Uh, if, if someone sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. But that's like the last thing that we do. It's the last thing we do. We don't want to do that because that's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm confronting and, and all of that. I don't want to. So he says, look, go to them and talk to them face to face rather than expand the circle and keep expanding the circle because it's so easy to talk about it with somebody else. But Jesus couldn't be more specific about don't do that. Don't expand the circle. Go directly to that person. But we become experts at disguising what we're really doing here. I just don't, I don't know what to do. Hey, could you, could you help? Can you give me, give me some advice here and help me figure this one out here? And so we talk about it with somebody else. And that kind of transitions into like a little bit of, we're gossiping about it to somebody else. And it's such an easy thing to do and such a damaging thing to do here. So there's a, so why are unresolved issues such a big deal? Because uh, well, we say, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Makes me uncomfortable here. Feels awkward. Like, feels weird. And so we want to ignore it and act like it didn't happen and go on with life. So Jesus spoke about resolving conflict and getting along with one another another time, as if that was not enough. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 4, he says, So, if you're presenting the sacrifice like you're doing church, you're in church world now, 
and you're at the altar in the, the temple of the church, and you just suddenly remember, that could be God causing you to suddenly remember, okay, someone that has something against you, leave your gift there uh, in front of the altar, and first go be reconciled to them and then offer your gift. So notice, and this is heavy. Like, I'm not trying to skirt the issue. This is heavy, okay? It's heavy. So first be reconciled to that person there, then offer your gift. Jesus says, look, here's how serious it is. You need to stop. You're, stop worshiping there. And you need to go and reconcile. Leave the gift there. Stop what you're doing. Prioritize this. And, uh, and try to resolve the unresolved issue. It says, when you do that, you win them. You may win them over. So there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of priority here to stop and make a big deal about it because it's a big deal for Jesus. And so if you allow, watch, you will allow an unresolved issue to go underground, become more malignant, to fester in all there, and continue to, to just stir up stuff in your life there, then watch. When you resolve conflict, you are walking worthy of the gospel. It's in the context here of walking worthy of the gospel. And sometimes it's really hard, and I don't want to minimize that. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. And so, but when someone comes to you, now watch, watch. This is so important, because very few people talk about this part of it. And here's the other part, because we always think, of, yeah, I got to go to them and tell them what a jerk they were and all that. But what about when they got to come to you and tell you what a jerk you were? What about that side of the equation there? Can you be humble? And can you allow them to come to you? And can you make room for the Lord to do a work in your life and be open and make when maybe what God is trying to speak to you through them and you don't see it and you got a blind spot there? And sometimes some of life's greatest lessons that we learn come through those hard conversations where someone has to lovingly tell you the truth. So those whose hard hearts you have those hard, heart-to-heart -heart conversations. Sometimes the truth can hurt, but you got to be open to the truth because the Bible says, faithful then are the wounds of a friend. They're not wounding you because they don't like, because they, they hate you. they got to tell you the truth because of who you are and your friendship. And they mean well. And so uh, this also means here when it says standing together, not only the military deal, it talks about the athletic deal. Like, think about teams, teams that, that stand together against a common opposition there, a team of athletes struggling together against a common opponent to try to secure a victory. So that's the word picture, standing like it's military, standing like it's an athletic event against a common enemy there. And so, and making room to build relational, uh, uh, relational recovery into your relationships. Verse 28 says, then, don't be intimidated. Look at this. Don't be intimidated or it means alarmed in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Don't be intimidated by your enemy. Do you think the inference is that you are? Did he just say that for nothing like he didn't have anything to say? Yeah, you know, don't. He said that because it's true because you tend to be intimidated by your enemy. Additionally, you can be intimidated by your spiritual enemy. And so then, how do then we walk the talk? 
Think about your conduct as a Christ follower. Think about how you're living. Think about living as a citizen of heaven. Secondly, we just talked about how you're to cling together, to stand firm together, to fight together. Number three, you are to, uh, your conduct, your clinging. Number three, you're to stand courageously. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Conduct, clinging, courage. The original picture here, the Greek word picture there of this word intimidated or alarmed, you know what it is? It's, it's a picture of horses, spooked horses, intimidated, frightened, freaking out horses, startled horses, jolted horses. And so in other words, he says, don't be jolted and intimidated by your adversary. So I got to tell the story that years ago, uh, I was riding horses with my family, and I had this brilliant idea to, uh, when we're almost done, to grab a piece of bark off the tree. I wish I could push the reverse button, but I'm, but I'm looking at the bark. That would really be a cool, cool kind of thing to bring home there, a little souvenir. So I go to grab the bark and twist a little piece, and God is my witness. The bark comes flying down off of the, the, the tree. And my horse just took this, was startled, stunned. This, what it's talking about here, it goes crazy, runs off. I get thrown off the horse, knocked out, had ended up in the emergency room and whitefish. But then the horse just didn't run off on me, rams into my wife's horse, knocks her off her horse. She's a bloody mess too. And so, uh, and then my kids, their horses go flying off. I'm knocked out for minutes. My dad, 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 what's going on here? And so 27 miles uh, to get to the emergency room, all because of it being frightened there and saying like, look, that whole picture there, he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like an intimidated, startled horse under flight or fright syndrome there. Do the opposite of that and be courageous, okay? Be courageous in your life here uh, when you're facing the enemy here. And so he says... Don't be intimidated there. And so, uh, verse 29, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, and we like that part. Everybody like that part? To trust in him. Like we, we get fired up about that part. But then there's the next part we don't get as fired up about. But it says, but also, after like, yeah, awesome. But also, okay, to suffer for him. Well, can we fast forward past that part? Can we fast forward past that part about Everyone who, who lives godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I like to kind of not put that on the coffee mug, like let's pass over that. You know, uh, that whole scripture about, that scripture about um, uh, that he who suffers according to the will of God. What? According to the will of God? Yeah, let him do so by the committing of his soul unto him uh, in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You mean you, you might suffer according to the will of God and then you go to your creator who's faithful. And so, yeah, you mean that's part of the program? Well, let's look at this verse a little bit more. It says, watch, for it has been given to you, or that's where we get our word grace, keros, God's grace, okay, that's how you become a Christ follower. 
because of God's grace granted to you, the gift granted to you, but the exact same gift, grace granted to you when you suffer for him. And so grace to suffer here. Same word, Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved. We, we love that part there, saved to, to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus there. And the exact same grace then comes to expression when you are suffering. It's right there. Philippians 1.29. So God allows your hardship. He grants you to, to suffer there. God grants suffering and trials. That's why it's so important what you know. You need, that's why theology and doctrine is so important here. So the Bible says in James 1.4, if any man suffer, okay, um, sorry, um, if any man suffer, uh, knowing this, knowing this, if anyone suffer there, then recognize that God is, is building perseverance into your life. And so knowing this, so important what you know, and you build your life upon what you know to be true about God here. And so it is because God is with us then. It's like he's not abandoning us. He's given us his grace to, to make it through. And so when we're in suffering and pain and sorrow and mourning and all, there is God showing up with his amazing, still amazing grace then, giving you his peace, letting you sense his nearness to him, giving you strength and his power then and the, the working of his Holy Spirit in your life there. God doing all of that, giving you, granting to you as a gift there that you can suffer. Another translation reads this way. I love the way that this reads here in the NLT. Been granted, graced to you. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Same exact word there. So if you believe in him, that's the first part. Then you suffer for him. That's the second part. Remember what we're talking about here? Walking the talk, not bailing on the walk when we suffer, but including that as part of our journey there. So Paul sees suffering far differently than we may see it. So this is kind of a, a paradigm shift, a perspective shift to, to grasp a, a biblical understanding and more of a biblical theology of suffering. So if you suffer well for the right reason, then it's a privilege. So the question is this, how are you handling suffering? Do we fear suffering as if God has abandoned us? Do we say to God, how, why have you abandoned me in the midst of my suffering? When nothing could be further from the truth there. When you go through suffering and pain and sorrow in mourning, Jesus is with you. I'm with you and I'll never leave you. And so are we going through suffering knowing that Jesus is with us? Are we handling suffering knowing that Jesus will grace us to get through it? Keros, grace. And so you've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but you've also been given the privilege of suffering for him. Now, Paul says, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm with you. I'm with you. So he identifies himself with the suffering. Watch verse 30. If you look up at the screen here, he says, look, look, hey, we're in this whole struggle together. You're not on your own. Uh, you know, uh, and aren't you glad that, that the Bible says this, that when you suffer, it's not alone that we that, that there's a community of people that surrounds you. And Paul says, hey, 
Like, you've seen my struggle in the past, okay? And you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Like, like it's happening like, like right now. So how are we handling our suffering? So Paul then says, look, I'm going through it just like you're going through it. He says, it's me too. I'm with you. I understand. I sorrow and I face opposition and trials. Paul says, look, you want to know my story? I've been whipped and I've been beaten and I've been like left for dead there. And I was thrown into a dungeon, underground stinking dungeon there. No running water, no, uh, no sanitation. And, I, and I'm buried in there. And you, you don't think like, I, I don't understand what's suffering. And besides that, I'm chained to, to these Roman guards. So then my question is, is our conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Or are we conducting ourselves just after Rome, Philippi, Calamasia, Eucaipa, Redlands, Banning, Beaumont, Loma Linda, Highland, Moreno Valley, and wherever else we're from and watching online there. And so are we then living as different citizens, not just assimilated and adapting to the culture, but is our, our mind being renewed? They're like, we're citizens of heaven. We have a different conduct, different attitude. And so to wrap this up, how personally and corporately and uh, Individually and as a community, then, we are to walk the talk. Three ways. Number one, in our conduct, our lives, consistently standing together against a common enemy, citizens of heaven. Number two, in our clinging together in unity, in cooperation, working together, serving together, praying together, advancing the kingdom together, cooperation, cling. And number three, in our courage, not being like the horses that, you know, get freaked out at every little squirrel that kind of walks by, but, but standing firm there, standing uh, against opposition. And, and knowing that, Suffering will be a part of that. Like, that's something we need to build into our, our understanding as it's been given unto you, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The grace to suffer for him has been granted, has been given by Almighty God to you, to equip you so you can make it through the suffering. So thy word, the psalmist said, is a lamp unto my feet and a, lamp and a light unto my path. It, it guides the way. It shows me where to go. And so we want to build this into our lives and keep getting back to what God has said. Let our minds be renewed in the Scripture. So I want to pray for us, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together, and then Ron, a.k.a. Moses, a.k.a. Lazarus, is going to Pray the final blessing over us. Would you join me in prayer? So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, as we hear the message, I pray that by your grace, we could, we could even search our own hearts. Who can know the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things, you said. David said, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the path 
everlasting. We ask you this morning that you lead us in paths that would honor you and glorify you. And so, Father, we want to, to live for you. We want to live lives by your grace that are worthy of the gospel. We want to conduct our lives as citizens of heaven, how we live. Lord, we want to cling together, cooperate, work together, serve together. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to stand. Courage when we face opposition individually or corporately. Courage to suffer well, for suffering has been granted unto us. So, Lord, we pray that you would do this and you would do more. In Christ's name, amen.